welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. 32, that's March 6, 30-32. And to start off, I want to say just how excited I am to be here today. Uh, ever since my dad has uh, come here, has been called here, all I hear from him is how much he loves Ridgecrest Baptist Church and how much he loves the people of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. So I'm glad I get to be here and actually get to meet all the wonderful people that he's been talking about to me over the last several weeks. It's been awesome. And I also want to appreciate, say, to the, the youth band that's been up here singing that y'all are a good youth band. Y'all need to keep that going. I mean, I think we should give y'all a round of applause because that was good. As my dad said, I'm, I'm in youth ministry, and so I hear a lot of youth bands, and that's a quality youth band. That's a really good one. Uh, so again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Uh, but I want to start out by saying, do you have any memories that are captured in your brain? Do you have anything that is a snapshot in your head that, that you just remember vividly about what went on? Maybe it was a big event that happened in your life, and you just remember that so vividly. Or maybe it was something huge that God did to you, or for you and your family. And that event is just ingrained into your mind. The apostle, sorry, the, the prophet Moses, he had a lot of times like that. And we're going to relate to Mark chapter 6, I promise you. <laughs> but the prophet Moses had a lot of times like that. He met God, and he, God was in this burning bush, and God was telling Moses, hey, you need to go release, you need to go speak to the people of Israel and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, God, if I go to the people, they're going to ask what your name is. What do I tell them? And God says, my name is I am that I am. I've got to imagine that event is ingrained into Moses' mind. And then he goes on, and there's a point where Moses goes, God, man, I really want to see you. I, want, I just want to see you, God. Have any of you all felt like that? Like, man, I really just want to see God. Moses was like that. He said, I really want to see you, God. And God goes, you can't see me. Anybody who looks at my face will die. Well, this is what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by you. That's the word it says. It says, I'll pass by you, and then you can look at the back of my head. You've got to believe that got ingrained into Moses' mind. And then later on in his life, as he was getting older, he begins to pray for the people of Israel because he knows his time is up. And he prays specifically, as he looks at Israel, he says, God, will you bring a shepherd who is like me or greater than me, who will shepherd these people of Israel? Because if you don't have a shepherd for these people, they're going to go astray like sheep. But one of the events that became the most important for Moses and all the people of Israel was a story that happened while they were in the wilderness. You see, the people of Israel, they'd been wandering around in the wilderness. They'd just come from Egypt. They didn't have any food, and they didn't have any water. And they'd been wandering around for so long that they, they were hungry. They were starving, and they were starting to rebel against Moses. They were starting to grumble against God. And they are starting to say, hey, we should go back to Egypt. And so Moses appeals to God, and God comes to them, and he says, this is what I'll do. Every morning... If you go outside, you'll see this stuff laying on the ground, and I want you to collect that, and I want you to collect only one omer of it, and I want you to collect it every day. You can't keep it. You can't store it. Collect only one omer for every person every day. And so they do. They get out there the next morning. They look down, and oh my goodness, there's, there's these little white flakes sitting on the ground. And they look out there, and they say, what is it? Which is where we get the word manna from. They go, what is that? It says it tastes like honey. It's like wafer honey. 
And the Bible says some of them collect a lot, some of them collect a little bit, but when they got home and measured it, all of them only had an omer. And the Bible says that some people, they were lazy, and they were like, oh, I don't want to go out twice, I'll just keep mine over tonight. And they woke up the next morning, all the stuff was stinky, and there's worms all in it, and it had rotten overnight. But the Bible says that for all the times they were in the wilderness, they had that food. God provided them that food. They, they never were hungry. Now, he, God didn't give them a you know, T-bone steak <laughs> as much as they probably wanted to. Or they didn't give them you know, some green bean casserole, some Krispy Kreme donuts. It wasn't that. He gave them what they needed to fill up their tanks to keep going until they reached the promised land. And so here you have, you have these, the, these people of Israel, the sun's beating on their faces and on their backs. Their feet are worn out. They feel like they can't go any further. They're fatigued. They're, they're famished. They're wrestling against the wilderness. They feel like their tank is out of gas. And God provides them manna. He provides them just enough to keep them going and keep them following the presence of God that's going before them. Have you ever felt like that in your life? You're fatigued, you're famished, you're wrestling against the wilderness, your tank is running on empty, and you just don't know what else to do. You've been faithfully following God. In fact, that might be the reason why you feel like your tank is on empty, because you've been following God. That happened to the disciples, too, in Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach us a lesson about what God does and a lesson of truth to encourage us. If you're here today and your tank is on empty, two things are going to happen that's going to encourage us about that. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not have time even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii and bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they went out and they said, Five and two fish. And Jesus commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. So they all sat down on groups and by hundreds and by fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. So this is... Part one of a two-part event. We're going to do the second event in a second. But there's two events that both teach the same lesson. The two events that Jesus is going to make the same point in both things that he's going to do for his disciples. So this is what's happening. The disciples, if you go back and read uh, early in chapter 6, Jesus had paired them up two by two and he sent them out and he gave them authority over demons and over healing and to teach. And the disciples had just spent basically weeks, we don't know for how long, but weeks probably, 
walking around to all the surrounding places, preaching the gospel. They essentially were on a long-term mission trip, like we do in the summer. And they got back, and during that time, we know it's a while because King Herod, and you see in chapter 6, King Herod hears what the disciples are doing, and then he also murders or executes John the Baptist, and then Jesus hears what Herod did to John the Baptist. So we know a lot of time passed, that a whole time disciples are just out there doing with the mission that Jesus has told them to, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus, healing people, and all that kind of stuff. And they get back to Jesus, and they're, they're excited. You know, they're like the, the youth that come back from the mission trip, and they want to tell you about all the people they share the gospel with, and the houses they built up, and all that kind of stuff. That's what these disciples are like. They're sharing all this stuff with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, because there's a crowd around them. In fact, Jesus is so busy, it says they couldn't even stop to eat. They didn't even have a lunch break. And so Jesus says, hey, let's go on vacation. Let's go into the boat. Let's cross over there. Let's go to a seclusion in the wilderness where we can take a vacation away from all this, and you guys can rest since you work so hard. So they jump in the boat, and they go across, start going across the lake. The people see them getting on the boat, and they start hightailing it in their, in their version of their Nikes. They start hightailing it, running all the way around the lake, telling people as they go. And as the dust settles, the disciples pull up there, probably with their swimsuits and sunscreen, ready, ready to take a vacation. And there's 5,000 families standing on the shore waiting for them. And Jesus, he doesn't get upset. He doesn't get mad. It says he has compassion on them because... They're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't have any spiritual leadership. And instead of taking vacation, Jesus starts teaching them more and teaching them again. Time passes, and the day is getting late. The disciples are probably looking at the clocks, and they're going, they start coming up to Jesus. The word in there that they use is in a present tense. So it's not the idea that they said this once. It's like they came up to him, they were bugging Jesus over and over and over again. They kept bugging him. Jesus, it's getting late. The time's running out. Send the people away. Let them go get food somewhere else. Let them go out there and do that, and, and you know maybe they're thinking, maybe we can get some rest or something like that. And finally, Jesus turns to them, and he says, you guys, give them food. And the disciples, they, they start protesting. Again, it's in the present tense verb. They, they start complaining and protesting, like, how are we going to feed 5,000 families to probably 15,000 people? They say it would cost... It would cost a eight months wages to pay this many people. We don't have that much money. We don't have that much. We're fatigued. We're famished. We've been working for weeks. We don't even have time to eat ourselves. Jesus, how in the world do you expect us to feed this many people? Our tank's on empty. Jesus says, well, how much tank do you have left in the gas? What do you have left? What resources do you have? They go look. They come back and they say, well, we've got these two little salty dried up fish. And five loaves. These little cake things that were round about an inch thick. And Jesus tells everybody to sit down. And it's weird because suddenly it says that this wilderness they're around has green grass. And they group in the people. And Jesus blesses the bread and he begins to break it. And he breaks it. And he breaks it. And he gives it to the disciples. And he gives it to the disciples. And he gives it to the disciples. And every time they give it to somebody else, he comes back, he breaks another piece, and they give it to the disciples. Until what do you know it? Every single one of those 15,000 people ate until they were stuffed, ate until they were satisfied. And not only that, but they collected all the leftover pieces 
the parts that nobody else wanted, the things that were full. And they had 12 whole baskets. In other words, the disciples had takeout bags that were larger than the stuff they started with in the first place. And in all this, Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson about himself. What is that lesson? We'll get to it in a second. But I think you can sum up this event as saying that when Jesus' disciples were fatigued and famished, Jesus fed the people. When Jesus' disciples were fatigued and famished, Jesus fed the people. We'll see later, it will show, that disciples didn't get the point that Jesus was trying to make. They didn't get what the overall lesson was, and so Jesus is going to do something else to teach them the same lesson to hopefully get them the second time. We read that starting in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Seeing them straying at the oars, for the wind was against them, at the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking out on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were all terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. That's how I know that these lessons teach the same thing. They had not gained insight about the incident from the loaves because their heart was hardened. So after this event, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people, which, by the way, there's only two events that are in all four Gospels. And it's Jesus' death and resurrection is one, and it's not Jesus' birth. It's this story. So there's something unique about this story. There's something special, even more so than possibly his birth, that makes this story so important that outside of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all four gospel writers said, yeah, we've got to include that story in there. But after that, Jesus sends his disciples away to Bethsaida while Jesus dismisses the crowd. And then Jesus goes up to the mountain and he begins to pray. And he starts praying and they, he and the disciples are separated about 12 hours. So you've got to picture the disciples we're out here in the middle of the sea, 9 to 12 hours by themselves. Jesus is over here on the mountain by himself praying. And that entire 9 to 12 hours, this gust of wind has blown up, and the disciples can't go anywhere. Jesus had commanded them to go somewhere. Jesus said, you go to Bethsaida. The disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, go to Bethsaida. The disciples are trying to go to Bethsaida. But there's a wind fighting against them, and they can't go anywhere. And for 9 to 12 hours, they fight that wind while Jesus is on the mountain. And then finally, it says the fourth watch, which is about 3 to 6 a.m. It says Jesus comes walking on the water. And it specifically says his intention was to pass them by. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. The exact word it uses is pass them by. The disciples see Jesus, but he doesn't look like Jesus. He doesn't look like the Jesus they remember. He looks supernatural. He looks divine. He doesn't look like a human. He looks like a God. And so they get scared. They say, that's not Jesus. That's a ghost. Maybe that's a water demon, but they're terrified. None of them recognize who Jesus really is because he's doing something that looks supernatural and divine. He's intending to pass them by. 
And Jesus walks up to him and he says, take courage. Don't be scared. And then literally in the Greek, he says, I am. Over and over again, he says, I am. I am. Be courage. Don't be afraid. I am. He gets into the boat and the wind stops and they can sail peacefully on. And the disciples, it says, they don't get the point Jesus is trying to make with both stories. Even then, they don't understand what Jesus is trying to tell them about himself. And I'm not going to bash the disciples about being that way, because if I can just be honest with you guys today, the first time I read this story, and the first time that I was really starting to look at this story, I didn't know what the lesson was either. I'll give you a little hint. We don't figure things out immediately every time. (laughs) My dad's like, amen. And so I read that story and I said, okay, I know it's obvious from verse 52 that both stories speak the same lesson. You know, the first story you can be summarized as when Jesus' disciples are fatigued and famished, Jesus feeds the people. The second story can be summarized as when Jesus' disciples are wrestling against the wind, Jesus walked on the water. But they both have one point. And I couldn't figure out what it was. Just like the disciples. It really made me feel like I wasn't very smart, to be honest. I mean, we bashed the disciples for not getting it, and here I am, like, doing the same thing. So I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I asked God, I was like, God, what am I not getting about this? I was like, well, maybe it means this. And I was like, no, it's, it's got to mean this. No, it doesn't mean this. And finally, after I kept thinking about it and praying about it and talking to people about it and reading about it, which is the same thing you can do if you're confused about a passage, I finally understood, thanks to brilliant men who have studied this passage in the past, not thanks to me, but to brilliant men who showed this to me, what the point Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. And he's not saying something about his disciples And he's not saying something about the people. And he's not saying something about the waves. He's saying something about himself. And that is that Jesus is the God who is there when his people's tank run on empty. Jesus is the God who is there when his people's tank runs on empty. You see, this passage, both events, reflect back on the Moses stories that I was telling you at the beginning of of the sermon. And over and over and over in these two stories, it's like the, the author, like Mark has taken us in, he's a boxer giving us body punches over and over and over again with details, with little hints that are saying, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. And he's not just any God, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who did what he did for the Israelites. The same God of the Old Testament who protected the Israelites, the same God in the Old Testament who provided for the Israelites, the same God of the Old Testament who fed the Israelites, the same God of the Israelites who was there for the Israelites, guess what, is right there with the disciples and is right there with us too. His name is Jesus Christ. The point of these stories is to say Jesus is the God who is there when his people's tank are on empty and he's the same God who has always been there even all the way back in the Old Testament when his people's tank on empty. So we see this when he talks about Jesus, that Moses prayed for a shepherd, and Jesus was a shepherd. The people were in the wilderness, and Jesus was in the wilderness that became green grass. But watch this, it gets even better. The people went out to collect manna from heaven that appeared on the ground. The disciples didn't collect food from the ground, they went directly to Jesus. 
And the manna got spoiled. It got bad. It couldn't last but a day. But the disciples, they could keep it longer. In fact, they could collect more than was required. And when the people in the Old Testament, when they ate that manna, they were still hungry. They were still famished. They were still tired. It says these people ate it and they were satisfied. They ate Jesus' bread and they were satisfied. Then the disciples got in the boat and they started paddling this way. And it says that Jesus appears to them and he passes them by. Guess what? When God showed himself to Moses, do you remember what the language it uses there? It says God passed by Moses. Jesus was showing them, I'm God. And then when God says, hey, my name is I Am, Jesus walks up to him and they're on the boat. And he says, take heart because I am. Jesus is the God who's there when his people's tank run on empty. So if that's true, there's two truths, two encouragements I want you to drill into your brain today. Two things I want to really encourage you about if that is true, that Jesus is a God who's there when his people's tank runs on empty. And first is that Jesus can fill your tank. You see, when the disciples didn't have, were fatigued and famished and didn't have what they needed to feed the people, Jesus was there. When the disciples were wrestling against the waves, Jesus was there. When the disciples didn't have enough money and didn't have the ability to handle what the people were doing for them, what Jesus told them to do, Jesus was there. When the disciples were just going to there to Bethsaida and they were exhausted because they had been traveling for hours, Jesus was there. When you're in the children's department... And you've been doing VBS for five days, and you can't listen to another one of those songs, and you feel like if another kid needs their shoe tie, that you might go crazy. Jesus is there. Listen, when your husband has been fighting against the Lord for 42 years, and for 42 years you've prayed for your husband every day, and you've invited him to church every day, and all he seems to be doing is like you're fighting against the wind, Jesus is there. It doesn't mean that he appeared immediately. It might be the darkest night. It might be 3 to 6 a.m. in your life. It might be when you are just having two, bread, two pieces of bread and two fish, four pieces of bread and two fish. But Jesus is there. Jesus is the God who is there who can fill your tank. You can put your hope in that. You can put your trust in that. But the second thing I want to tell you is that Jesus is the God who is there to fill the tank of his people. Jesus is the God who fills, is there when his people's tank are empty. He fills the tank of his people. You see, there was probably a lot more boats out there on the water struggling against the wind. But you know which boat Jesus chose to pass by? It was the disciples. There was a lot of people hungry sitting there in the wilderness. But you know who actually received the food from Jesus, even though they gave it to somebody else? It was the disciples. You know who Jesus was trying to teach, who Jesus was trying to mentor in giving these lessons? It was the disciples. Jesus has compassion. He says he has compassion in us earlier. He had compassion for the people. He has compassion for our needs. He has compassion on us when we're fatigued, when we're tired, when we're wrestling, when we feel like our tanks are on empty, when we don't have the resources to do what God has asked us to do. Jesus has compassion on us. But he ultimately has a greater compassion for us in a way because we have a greater need than money. We have a greater need than a career. We have a greater need than a house. And we have a greater need than all this stuff. We have a great need in that we all have sin that separates us from God. 
And Jesus, yeah, he showed his compassion when he fed the 5,000 people. He showed his compassion when he walked on the water and helped these guys who were straining against the wind. But you know, the greatest way Jesus showed his compassion to us, the greatest way God shows compassion to us, is when he came and he died on the cross and died and paid the penalty for our sins. The feeding of the 5,000 is a, is a cool story, but it means so much more than just getting, getting what we need, just getting filled with food. It means Jesus has the compassion to forgive us of our sins. And what that implies is that Jesus fills the tank of his disciples. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you are a believer, but you are not following God with all your heart, then the hope that Jesus Christ is going to be there when your tank is on empty is not as really there. He's there for his disciples. Some might be even that you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but your tank is on empty. And so you need to today decide that you want to confess your sins, you want to repent from your old ways, and you need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life so you can become part of his people, so you can be saved, so you can have your sins forgiven, and so your tank can be filled. Maybe you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized by immersion afterwards, and you need to do that. That's how you symbolize, that's how you represent yourself in Christ. It doesn't save you, but it identifies you with Christ. And you need to come and you need to say, I need to get baptized. Maybe that's what you need to do to show and be a part of being his disciple. Maybe you're here and you have some kind of sin in your life, and you need to repent. You need to turn from that lifestyle. You need to turn from your sin, and you need to pursue God with all you've got, because you know that Jesus is the God who is there for his people when their tank is on empty. Jesus says later that if you seek him first in his righteousness, all these things will be added to him as well. We like the last part. We forget the first part. If you seek Jesus first, you seek God first in his righteousness, then all the things will be added to you as well. Well, that means you say, well, Mike, you know, if I, if I repent, if I turn to God and I decide to seek him first in my life, does that mean that when I get home, my kids are going to quit, you know, acting bad? Does that mean if I go to my workplace, I'll suddenly really, really like it and I want to leave? You know, if I, if I do this, well, I suddenly feel like, you know, I'm super happy and joyful all the time and I'll never feel pain. Well, that happened today. No, I can't guarantee that. Jesus didn't answer the disciples immediately. He made them complain until he fed the people. He made them struggle against the wind for 9 to 12 hours before he walked on the water. So you might turn yourself over to Christ. You might go home and feel like nothing has changed. But here's the thing. It's not that God comes in immediately and suddenly it's like you're not wrestling against the wind. It's not like that. It's that in Jesus Christ alone there is hope that you can have your tank filled. And that he'll be there when you need it filled. And not might not be when you want it filled, but it's when you need it filled. You're not going to have any hope of getting your tank filled by money. You're not going to have any hope by getting your tank filled by a career. You're not going to have any hope by getting your tank filled by a boyfriend. You're not going to have any hope by getting your tank filled by growing a family. You're not going to have any hope by getting your tank filled if Alabama wins another national championship. The only place you can find hope of getting your tank filled 
is in Jesus Christ. That's the only place there's hope. Jesus is the God who is there when his people's tank is running on empty. There's a pastor in Texas named Ralph West. And he was telling a story one time about his way. He was on his way to preach at a church in a place called Palestine, Texas. Now, the road from where his church is in Palestine is kind of like the 69 is. When you go down here to the beach, there's nothing. We just drove, me and Ashley just drove that the other day. And we would drive hours and hours and hours and not even see a gas station. If you, and we were, we'd go, man, I'm so glad we filled up our tank. Because if we ran out of gas, uh, we stuck. <laughs> and he's driving on this road to go here with his friend Boyle. And suddenly, his gas gauge starts blinking. He's out of gas. And he, he begins to get nervous. He's like, oh, man, we're not going to make it here. He turns to his friend and he says, I hope you're ready to push a car because we're about to run out of gas. But he remembers his car has a button that tells him how many miles he has left. So he presses that button and it says 10 miles. He says, okay, I'm probably not going to find a gas station in 10 miles. But he just keeps driving. And after a little while, suddenly the 10 disappears and just starts blinking dashes. Starts blinking dashes. At this time, Pastor West is going, we ain't making it to this place that I'm going to be preaching. This is bad. We don't have anywhere to fill up. We don't have any gas to fill our empty tank. We're stuck here. He says, quick, bull, you know, look in the manual, see if there's anything you can do. What exactly does these little blinky dash things tell us? How many miles do we got left? And so Bull rushes through the, the dashboard, and he pulls out the car manual. He looks at it, and it says, when your gas gauge starts blinking dashes, don't worry. Your car is equipped with a reserve tank that will give you, at that point, an extra 30 miles. You might feel like your tank is on empty today. You might feel like the dashboard of your heart is blinking dashes. You might feel like you're fatigued, like you're famished, like you're tired of wrestling against the waves. But I got to tell you, read the manual and see what it says. Because Jesus is the God who is there when his people's tank runs on empty. You guys pray with me today. Dear God, we know from your word that for believers and unbelievers alike, this world can be stressful, it can be hard, it can be toil. And God, that we, and we can feel like our tank is running on empty and we don't know how much farther we can go on our own. God, I believe that in a crowd this size, there's got to be multiple people here. I just feel like they don't know how much longer they can go at what they're doing. And they might be faithfully following you, they might not, but they don't know. They can go much longer. Lord, I just want to pray that you would help them find the encouragement and the hope that you provide that if they faithfully follow you, you will be there when their tank runs on empty, God. Help them to relieve here with that joy and with that hope of that knowledge that, and commit themselves to following you no matter what the dashboard of their heart says. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day and God bless.